Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. And uh, so we're, as Matt mentioned, we're in the middle of a series going through the book of Mark. And we're still in Mark chapter 1. This is our fifth week of this series. It's called Make Room. And we're looking at all the ways in which um, people made room for Jesus. And Jesus made room for things that were of priority to him as he came and established God's kingdom and his ministry here on earth. And so we're taking a look at these things. And just to to refresh you, so far, we've been through 34 verses of the book of Mark. 34 verses. That's not a lot, but a lot has happened if you've been tracking with us. So here's a quick update, some things that we've talked about so far. The first week, we talked about making room for Jesus in our lives by confessing and repenting and trusting him to do what he says he will do, and we work on the obedience part. So we let, we let Jesus like work on the Jesus stuff, on the God, King, like that, the upper level stuff, and, and we work on our obedience and how we follow him and honor him and trust him to do his part. And then we talked about making room for the battle, for the battle, and we looked at Jesus' tempting in the desert and how there was this, bat, this cosmic battle that ensued there. And similarly, we are engaged in a battle here in, in our lives and in this world. And we talked about how we make room for battles to make sure we're in community, that we get in the word and we know the truth and what the truth means for you. The truth is the word of God, his timeless truths that don't change with the culture and the decades. They, they stay the same. So making room for the battle. Then we talked about making room for the kingdom and how Jesus called ordinary people like you and me to follow him into extraordinary work. I was super encouraged by that word. And also that as disciples of Jesus, we must redefine our purpose to become fishers of people and join him in his work to reach others. So that's what it looks like to make room for his kingdom. And then last week, we talked about making room for authority. And that authority is given from Jesus, and the kind that he gives leads us to teach, to heal, and to deliver. It's not some authority or some power trip he bestows upon us so that we can abuse it and take advantage or manipulate our situations, but that the authority that Jesus bestows upon his people is to be used to lead, to teach, to heal, and to bring deliverance. You see that this authority that Jesus entrusts to his believers is given to lead us into battle with evil, not battle with each other. I believe it's a word that is so needed right now with the things we see going on all over the place that Jesus actually redeems authority instead of abolishing it. He redeems it, and it was super encouraged by that. So today, we're going to take it to the next step. And we're going to talk about making room for the Father, making room for our Heavenly Father, for God. And I want to read our scripture together, then I want to dive in and see not only what the Word says about this, but how should we respond to this? What does this mean for us? So if you want to read along, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. And I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, whatever translation you have for the most part should be good, Um, but if a couple words are different... That's why. Um, that's, that's the version I'll be reading out of. So, verse 35, chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up 
left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, or Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let me pray and then we'll talk about this. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that even in the midst of technology not working and and restrictions and, and all the things going on this morning, that your word remains true, that there is power in it, and that your Holy Spirit wants to speak to each one of us this morning to help us take our next step in following you. Would your will be done? Would my words be yours? And would you encourage us and edify your church through this word here this morning? We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody, including the kids, said, Amen. There we go. All right. So, what, what, we, what we see here is that Jesus got up really early in the morning uh, before anyone else was up. Parents, it's like the one kid that no matter what time you put them to bed and try to like put them to bed later so they'll sleep in, they still get up before you are ready, like early in the morning when it's still dark, before anyone else was up. And he went to a solitary or secluded place to pray, to talk with the Father, to be with God. And in order to fully understand what's happening in this moment, we need to recall what happened leading up to it so that we can understand what is happening. So what precedes this early morning going off to a solitary place and spending time for Jesus? Now, we don't know the exact timeline, like how many days the first 34 verses of Mark happened with him. We don't know, like, day one, this is what happened. Day two, it's not like the Genesis creation narrative where it's like, here's day one, and here's day two, and it was good. Like, we just know all this stuff is happening. But it's still important to understand, like, there, there's a lot going on here. And so, so far, we see that Jesus has been water baptized. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness or the desert. He's been tempted by Satan. He won the battle with the enemy. He started preaching in Capernaum after John was put in jail. He called his first four disciples, preached in the synagogue on the Sabbath, cast out a demon at the synagogue on the Sabbath, healed Peter's mother-in-law at his house on the Sabbath, and then he was healing all the sick and demon-possessed that people were bringing to his house, to the streets, after they heard about what was happening. Thus, he was exercising this new authority, this new way of teaching and he was drawing crowds and plenty of attention. Now, all of this in 34 verses of the book of Mark. And right after this afternoon or evening of ministry at Peter's house and outside of it, with his family and all those that were around there, Jesus doesn't sleep in and take it easy. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if I have one of those kind of days where I'm just like starting early in the morning and I'm going well into the night and I'm doing all this stuff with people, for people, I'm like, next morning, I'm going to wake up when I wake up, right? It's not an alarm clock morning. It's not a commit to anything morning. It's a like, I'll see you when I see you. Can you guys relate? You just have one of those days and it's like, you'll see me when you see me, but I'm not committing to anything tomorrow morning because I'm just straight up burnt out. And we don't see Jesus respond to this crazy, filled day where he's doing all this work, establishing God's kingdom with like, and when he woke up, he got out of bed 
and just happened about his day. It was like, no, he got up early while it was still dark, before anyone else was up, before anyone else was up to spend time with his heavenly father, to spend time with God. Now, with everything that was going on, the buzz that was created, the excitement, the healings, all the stuff that was happening, there was so many different things or activities he could have been participating in when he chose to woke up and start his day. There was things that people wanted to be around. There was a lot of people that would have been showing up. They would have, like, traveled all night. Like, I heard what happened outside Simon's house last night. I got to get to Capernaum. Just imagine that if you hear, like, hey, this, like, Messiah guy has, has showed up over in Thurston. He's over in Thurston. Like, he, he's been healing people all night. You're like, okay, I'm getting up early. I'm walking out to Thurston, and I want to see what's going on here. I want to get a piece of this. Like, Thurston, you know, we can drive. It doesn't seem that far. But if you were in the ancient Near East and you were on foot, like, man, that's a track. I better get started now. So just think about being in that time. They were waiting for over 400 years of silence for this Messiah to come. He shows up on the scene and people are getting healed, freed from demons, all this stuff going on. Do you think that they're going to, like, see what's going on that night and think, oh, Jesus is going to take off and go to the next town? No, there's going to be a buzz. They're going to think, oh, I'm going to come get me a part of that. I want to see what's happening. Maybe I have something that I'm going to believe for Jesus to do in me. But this is what he does. Instead of feeding into that momentum and all of that excitement and taking the moment to just continue to please people and give them what they expect, he takes off and he goes to spend time with God. He makes room in the midst of all this success, all this attention, this momentum, and this ministry to be with the Father. And as he's doing so, Simon, or Peter, shows up with his companions, and he aggressively exclaims, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. Yo, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. This wasn't just a like, oh, hello, Messiah, hello, King. I just want to inform you that there's some people that are waiting for you. It wasn't like one of those nice, polite moments. It's like, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. And now this moment is super interesting when you dig into it and understand like the original language that's happening here because it's not just some like, hey, I wanted to give you the news really quick. They're, they're waiting for you. Let's go back into the town. It's the original like verbiage here is one of an aggressive pursuit like to hunt down or to track down Jesus. That's the verb that's used as Simon and his companions, it says, are looking for him. Now, we don't see the word companions used for the disciples of Jesus, like anywhere else up to this point at least. Why on earth would Mark take care to say, well, Simon and his companions showed up looking for Jesus? You ever think about that when you read some stuff in the Bible and you're like, gosh, why, why is he calling them companions? They're clearly the disciples. We know that he's called them to be with him and fish for men, but he just Mark refers to them as companions. And many scholars and people that are writing commentaries and such on this book would state that it indicates that Mark is calling them companions because they're just straight up not acting like disciples in this moment. They're not acting like his disciples, so he's not going to give them that title. That is a title that is an honor to be walking with him, following him as king. And they were just like trying to hunt him down because they were excited about everything that was going on, that they got to be associated with it, and they wanted him to hurry up and get back down there and continue to work his miracles, providing for the needs of the people or what they thought they needed, rather than being obedient to what God was calling him to do. 
this word often had a hostile sense or connotation to it. They were eager to find Jesus so that he could continue his miracles. So something that's helpful for me uh, when I think about these interactions the disciples have with Jesus is I want to try to think about what, what would that have looked like for me? How, how would have I responded? Because we don't necessarily have a paradigm for a Messiah showing up in Capernaum and doing healing outside of some ancient house and, and all the things that we see going on here. So how can I relate to this? Because I consider myself a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And if there's something that is to be taught or had for a disciple of Jesus in this story, I want to receive it in its fullness and apply it to my life. So I look at this and I was like, okay, God, what is a similar interaction that I might have in my life where I would pursue with aggression, uh, wondering, where are you? What's, what's your problem? What are you doing? You're supposed to be healing people. What, what might that look like in my life? Well, more than one time in my life as a parent, um, all you parents knew that's where this was going to go, I have been in home or in public and looked for my child where I thought they were supposed to be, and they were not there. If you can identify with that, can I hear an amen? They were not where they were supposed to be. For instance, there was one weekend I was at home by myself with my four daughters. My wife was at a women's retreat like one of the few weekends a year that she gets to go just have it like be about her and her relationships and not all the kids. And so she was gone and I came downstairs from addressing something upstairs and I was, I was looking for one of my other children and I'll come down the stairs and the front door is wide open. Now I've seen enough movies to know like, okay, I know a lot of things that could be going on right now. And if you know me, um, you know, movies like Taken, those things start popping into my head, and I'm like, oh, no, it's on. Like, and so I start hollering for this child, and she's in the room, so I won't embarrass her. And I'm like, hey, you, <laughs> where are you? Where, where are you? And I'm going around the house, and it's not like this careful, calculated, like, oh, um, so-and-so, have you seen your sister? It's like, hey, where's your sister? Hey, where is she? Have you seen her? No, why? Where is she? What is she thinking? I don't know what she's thinking. Why are you asking me? Like, I'm just going around so aggressive because I'm panicking in this moment. They're not where I think they should be. And I'm, oh my goodness, where is she? And so then I calm down kind of for a little bit and I start looking more carefully. And it's at this moment when I look behind the couch because my kids like to hide sometimes. And I hear this giggling in the toy closet. And I'm like, and I look over there and all the stuffed animals are kind of moving. And I hear this chuckling underneath them in the toy closet. And she's laying underneath the animals trying to conceal her giggle. And meanwhile, I'm about having a heart attack. Going around, where are you? What are you doing? What were you thinking? The front door's open. You had me so scared. Daddy, I didn't open the door. But it was open, dang it. You're right, like that, that still played into my irrational fear and my pursuit of like, where are you? What is going on? And I asked, why, why are you hiding? What are you thinking? You scared Daddy, she's like, yeah, I could hear that. And she said, Daddy, my sisters were annoying me, and I just wanted to have some alone time. <laughs> now, am I saying that the followers were annoying Jesus and he needed some alone time? No, may, maybe. No, that's not the statement here. But she tells me, Dad, the, the open door was because you didn't shut it all the way when you came inside and the wind blew. I'm like, 
Okay, take me down a couple notches, right? And, and the truth starts to come out as I inquire with a humility and a desire for understanding rather than an accusatory, hunting down, aggressive tone and posture. And I got to finally start to understand some of what was going on. She just needed to make some room for herself and had found the perfect spot to do so and wasn't ready to give up her spectacular hiding spot yet, even though daddy was looking for her. She knew she was safe. She was padded there. It was like, you know, airbags built in. She was good to go. But there was a similar urgency and oblivion to the reality of the bigger picture of the situation in the search for Jesus by his disciples. It was just like, no, they saw this one thing that was happening. The audacity of Jesus not to be here right now. What is he thinking? People are expecting him. And it was with that aggressiveness that they were asserting this question to him. And he's like, hold up. I need, to go, I need to go be with the Father. I need to go be with God in this moment. And when they finally found him, his response just kills me. It's like, if you're in these shoes where you're looking like that for Jesus, and then he says, you know what? <laughs> Let's go somewhere else. Like, I just turn to wrap my mind around. The, I finally found him. He's like, ah. Let's go somewhere else so I can preach there also. Because that's why I have come. And he traveled throughout Galilee in the villages, preaching and driving out demons. So they weren't met by this, you're right, I better get back there and cater to all their needs and be totally like governed by what people's expectations and desires of me are. That wasn't his response. It was like, well, actually, here's why I've come. And here's what we're going to do next. Because he went and he made room for the Father. And in that moment, he received clarity on what his next steps and his attitude and his steps forward were to B, and in the midst of all that was going on and all that happened, and all that happened, all the expectations and amazing things happening, Jesus made room for the Father in his life. He made room for him early in the day to prepare for and get clarity on what was ahead of him. Jesus made room for him because he understood that God the Father was doing something special and he was using him. He was using him. And we too, following Jesus' example, need to understand that we need to look to our Heavenly Father in the same way. So, some things that we saw Jesus make room for the Father to be that I want us to receive and contemplate how that applies in our life are the following. Jesus made room for the Father to be his source. His source of power and authority. He didn't seek the momentum, the fame, the energy created in this moment to be his source of power and sustenance. How often do we get in an exciting environment there God's moving or something exciting is happening and we get addicted to what we can catch in a moment from people and from earthly things and then we start to rely on that to motivate us and carry us into what is next. But Jesus said, hey, there's plenty of excitement going on, but I know where my power and authority comes from and it's not those people, it's not the miracles God's doing through me, it's not my work that gives me purpose and is the source for my power, it is God Almighty, the one who created the heavens and the earth and who I am here on behalf of partnering with to bring redemption to this world. His source was God. He he needed to make room for the Father to be his source because that's where his power and authority came from. The second thing he made room for the Father to be 
was his security. Man, this is a tough one for me, I'll be honest with you. We got any people pleasers in the room? Anyone that struggles with that? No, am I the only one? Okay, we got a couple. What I mean by that is that we are often, those of four of us that have identified as people pleasers, um, when we interact with people, there's just something inherent in us, hardwired inside of us, that we just want people to like us. We want what we do to be recognized, for people to appreciate it, and that is in turn, in, in some twisted way internally, what motivates us and inspires us to continue to do that. Now, Jesus had a lot of cool stuff going on. He was recognized for a lot, of, a lot of ways God was moving through him, and he could have taken the credit and kept rolling with that. But his security was not in his performance for the Father. It was in his obedience to the Father. See, how many times do we find our security in the things we do, the things we can provide for our family or others, the way we make other people feel, how attractive we can be to others to draw them into any given moment or event? Like those often are the things that we find our security in. But Jesus made room for the Father to be his security, for his obedience to the Father to be that security instead of his performance in any given moment. Because see, for us people pleasers, or somebody who's just like trying to like continue to be liked, cared for, desired, wanted in any given moment, you're going to say, oh, there's people waiting for me? Great. Let me hurry and get back there and continue that work because there's something deep inside of us in the brokenness of where we seek significance and security that desires those moments. But Jesus knew better, and he wants us to know better as well. And the third thing is Jesus made room for the Father to be his compass. The Father gave him direction, told him what was next, where to head, what the next step in the mission was. It is hard for us in our fleshly selves to, to read where Jesus is like, yeah, um, that's, that's cool, all those people are there, but I'm going on to the next village because I've come to preach there also. And to not just go back to this place of success, but to continue to be focused on God's will and where he is taking him next. He was the source for Jesus. He was his security. He was, he was his compass. The direction was determined by the Father. So how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Because so often we can be like Peter and his companions. We get excited about being associated with something awesome, something exciting, something important happening, maybe something that's energizing. We're like, yeah, I was a part of that. Or yeah, that's, that's my people, that's my church, that's my family, that's my friend. And we get so stoked about being a part of that and, or being recognized for being a part of that that it is so easy to lose focus on the bigger picture of what God is doing what making room for him, his kingdom, his power, and his authority looks like in the grind of your everyday life. We can lose focus on that when we get so excited about the moments and the energy and what we're associated with rather than God being our source, being secure in him. These things are important so that we can walk in obedience, carrying out what God has in store for this earth, for your family members, for your friends, for your coworkers, for your neighbors, for all of those that he has planted you near. We need to go to him as our source. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Like, yeah, that's a cool pie-in-the-sky idea, Pastor Chris, but that was Jesus. He's got a leg up on me, so how can you expect me to do that? Like, that was Jesus. 
And I can often excuse away responsibility by saying that as well. But today, I want us to humbly come before God and say, nah, we can do something about this. We need to seek God for the same things Jesus did. We need to seek him as our source of power and authority and provision. Power and authority and provision. What does that look like? I can't tell you how many times I have been in need of resources and I have to question what is my first, like my gut reaction to being in need, to needing provision. In my flesh, I'm like, okay, how can I make something work? How can I sell something? How can I go pick up an extra job, do some extra work to, to maybe make ends meet? Now, I'm not saying that God won't lead you to steward your time and resources in that way where maybe you need to do that, but shouldn't we ask him first? Shouldn't we go to him first on how we are to be generous and how we are to, to seek provision instead of just trying to make it happen in our own understanding? When somebody is sick in your home, what's the first thing you do? You probably go to the medicine cabinet or the phone and call the doctor, right? And there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. God has gifted his creation to come up with medical advancements and, and medicine and doctors and all of this stuff. But have you ever thought, hey, God, do you maybe want to do something? Do you want to heal them? Do you want to fix this? Like, is this just about going to my fleshly response? Or do you want to do something cooler in this moment? Is he the first one you go to for your source of power and authority and provision? Secondly, we need to seek him for our security. We need to seek him. Be secure not because of what you can do for God, but because of what he has done for you. Your security is in the gift that he's given you, not in you earning it. That's where we find our security. Find your security and significance in a right relationship with the one that created you in following him. And seek him as your compass. Find direction and purpose through your submission to God's leading in your life. Submit to him as your Lord and Savior. The boss, the king, who gets to tell you what the next step is, where to go. If you go back and continue healing people here, or if you move on and preach in the next village, because that is his plan for you. Not trying to figure out how you can manipulate and manufacture situations to get what you want, but rather humbly being obedient to the God who created this universe and desires to partner with you to bring redemption and reconciliation in this world that so desperately needs it. Ask him for clarity, for direction, and power to join him in the greatest mission that those on earth have ever witnessed. To bring redemption and restoration to his creation. We get to be a part of that. When you repent and confess and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a new creation. You are, have a new life in him. You're given a new mission, a new family, a new purpose. And that purpose is to be a part of the greatest work that this world has ever seen. To bring a cosmic level restoration and redemption to our earth and to the people residing in it. How can that not be a little bit exciting? How can that not compel you to care about things that may not necessarily affect you in any given moment? How can that not compel you to care about the things that breaks other people's lives, takes other people's lives, and causes brokenness in this world? When you know you're a part of this, this should compel you to care about everything that's going on because part of God's plan is to bring them back into right relationship, not just with him, 
but with each other. That's what we get to be a part of. Melissa, you can head back up as I close. We need to seek God for the things that Jesus sought him for. And ultimately, you need to make yourself available to respond. I can't tell you how many times I feel like God's telling me, leading me, calling me to act in a certain way, in a certain moment. And I'm just either not physically available, like I'm busy, right? I'm following the idol of busyness. Or maybe my heart, my emotions aren't available to respond to what he's calling me to do because the things of this world have got me all walled up and barricaded in trying to self-preserve and keep myself safe so I'm just not even available to take those steps that he's calling me to. Family, God wants us to make ourselves available to not just seek him but respond to his leading and direction in our lives. God's word says that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. There's plenty of mission field out there. There's plenty of work to do, plenty of people that don't know God yet, that don't have hope in Him, that look around, they watch the news, they see the brokenness, they see the death and depravity all around them, and they don't know what the answer is. And here we are in this building this morning, or online somewhere, and we know what the answer is. Who are we to keep that to ourselves? There's plenty of right relationship to be encountered with God and with others. But will you make yourselves available? That's right, Olive. Will you make yourselves available? Will you make yourself physically available, setting aside the time and space to make room for God and others in your lives? Will you do that? Will you make yourself emotionally available, opening up your heart, being vulnerable and real, and allowing a cultivated soil within you for the relationships in your life to be planted, to grow, and to be healthy within. Family, will you make yourself available to God? We're going to close with the song that Melissa has prepared for us. And the song is simply titled Available. It's like we planned it. I would ask that as you reflect on how you are making room for God to be your source, your security, and your compass, that this song would lead you into a heart posture of availability for all the plans and purposes that the Father has set before you. Father, would you speak to us in this time? God, would you compel our hearts to seek you for the things that Jesus sought you for? And Father, would you lead us to a place of physical and emotional availability? We love you. Would you move through this time? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, we pray your presence would just flood into this place. Speak to us. Guide us. Be our compass, our source, our security. Would there be an overflow of your presence and your power ministering to us in this time? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that when God brings us together, it's not just to collect information or to receive something, but it's to activate something in us. And as we receive that word, as we reflect the words of that song, I believe that God is stirring in some of your hearts right now. He's saying, I want to make you available. 
I want to empower you to be available. I want to walk with you as you go on this journey of being available to be used by me to walk out the plans and purposes that I have for you, not just the ones that you have thought up or planned yourself. So as we wrap up, we're going to do something here. I'm going to pray for those of you that that's the case right now. And then we're all going to stand and we're going to declare that last part of that song again. I believe there's no better parting words after that message for us as a family to proclaim as we leave and go into our mission field today. So if that's you and you're like, God, I I want you to make me available. (laughs) I need your help because I know that's what I'm called to do, but it's hard and things and circumstances over time have built up walls and maybe I'm not as emotionally or relationally available as you would have me be, but you want to trust God to break that off of you and deliver you from that, I want you to raise your hand. If you're like, yes, God, I want to be more available with my my time, my resources, be more physically available, I want you to work in me. God, here I am, make me available. If that's you, just raise your hand as a sign, as a response to God. And I want to pray for you. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing that out. So if that's you, just receive this prayer. God, I thank you that you call us to be available for you, to lead, to work within, to empower God, I thank you for the purpose and the mission you've given us. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and the heart to be available to your leading, to the ways in which you want to work in our lives and through our lives. And I pray that we would be a people, a community that would be marked by an availability to be used by the Heavenly Father. God, would you help us to make room for you in our lives? And teach others to do the same. So we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you make room for God to be your source, your security, and your compass, would you also make yourself available? Open to who and what he has in store for you. I pray that you'd have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to the opportunity to be with you again next week. Don't forget, if you have kids, to grab the worksheets off of the welcome table in the back and weather seems to be permitting so we will move out to the parking lot for some open air fellowship time and uh, we love you guys we'll see you next week